There you have another dose of audio medicine here on Straight Out of Combat Radio, brought to you by Green Zone Hero and hosted by the Heroes Media Group. This veteran uh, got to the United States Army by an uncommon route, actually an immigrant with no real military background and his family. You're going to want to hear how he got there and what he did. Very interesting story. And uh, he's working on a project now called Tilt Shift, which is a comic book anthology about the um, about combat missions in Afghanistan through the eyes of a combat photographer, which this person was. I think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, it's a story that needs to be told. And if you can help out with Tilt Shift, by all means, please do so. Thank you for listening. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You got a my name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all burn it down. Our veteran guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio is U.S. Army veteran Jose Torres. And he's got quite a story to tell, and he's working on a project now, Tilt Shift, and we'll get to that. But a little bit about him, uh, this brief introduction, then we'll just get started with his story. After attending the Defense Information School, where he was named the Distinguished Honor Graduate of his Combat Photography course, he was handpicked for the Special Missions Platoon of the 55th Signal Company and was deployed to Afghanistan with SOCOM Joint Task Force. And uh, really excited to hear more about that as we get into his story. Obviously, Jose is a busy man. Currently, he's the writer-creator of Speakeasy, Marcosia's series The Hunger, Image Comics miniseries Heirs of Eternity, and the American Dream short in their Outlaw Territory anthology. Well, I guess, you know, uh, Tilt Shift, your idea about Tilt Shift is also kind of an anthology. It's a, it's a fact-based portrayal of a special operations deployment to Afghanistan through the eyes of a young combat photographer. So it sounds like the characters or the character that you're developing for that series, Jose, may even be you. Is that true? Uh, it's very much based on, on my experiences and, and experiences of like it was, the platoon that, that got ready to, to go over there, at least the team, is just a very small group of people because what it was is like almost, it, it would be like a dozen maybe soldiers out of the ComCam unit they would select to send out you you'd go as like a, a single augmentee for each uh for each team and so you'd go to you know one of you would be stationed uh at one of the bases and a couple of us were put with like more specialized teams that that like did uh sort of like kill capture and and, and missions like that so so i actually got to travel around like maybe every two to three weeks we would like switch switch locations to to support uh teams in other in other parts so it was a very big privilege for me because i got to i got to work with a lot of different types of special operation teams in a lot of different areas so i got to you know go to the mountains in jalalabad i got to go to the north in mez i got to go down to kandahar and Mel, uh, helmand and uh see a lot of different kinds of uh of missions and a lot of different kinds of sort of combat uh which gave me a very full picture i feel of, of of what kind of missions we were doing out there. 
Well, you know, I have seen some of your photography, and uh, when you talk about boots on the ground and close up and personal, that's exactly what you were able to capture behind, you know, your lens. I know that when I've looked at some of the the, the uh, illustrations and the colorations for Tilt Shift, extremely realistic, and obviously, after looking at it and reading it, you can tell whoever put it together has some experience, but. You know, before we get there, you know, tell us about the the Torres family and and about you in particular before you even got in the service. What was what was home life like for your family? Oh, um, I actually come from uh, from an immigrant family. I was I was actually born in in Panama in the early '80s. Anyone with with knowledge of sort of like U.S. history and military history knows that that was a, a tumultuous time in that country and the events, political and military events in that country. Uh, directly led to uh, my family's immigration to North America. I, I grew up, I, I'd never been sort of like a military family. Like my, my family was, was very much separated by it, but influenced in the sense that the military and military action uh, pretty much caused our, our arrival on this continent. Um, and it's just like the military is actually not something I'd never given a second thought to. Uh, it just it just wasn't something that I, that I thought was for me or that I had planned. Somewhere around, essentially around my, I was older when I enlisted, and somewhere around my my twenty fourth, twenty fifth birthday, it was around the time of the two thousand four election. Due to a political or to a political gaffe, there was a lot of talk of the quality of the people in the military and whether it was the best people, the smartest people, and things like that, and. And I actually took a lot of issue with it because in my mind, a lot of people were passing judgment, but no one was really helping. In my mind, you know, I thought of myself, you know, at the time I was living in New York, I was, I was writing, I, I was pretty comfortable in my life. And I thought to myself, how can I stand in judgment or try and form an opinion if I'm just, you know, like I'm on the armchair, I'm not doing anything. I'm just looking over my computer screen at these people. And so I, went to a recruiting station and I, I just went in to see what I could do. I lucked out. I saw the recruiter showed me that there was, you know, visual information, communications positions available. I also have a, a good friend who was also a writer. Uh, his name is David Atchison. And he had been a, a PAO in the Air Force and, and very much told me, you know, that there were media jobs where you could, where you could see things and learn things. Well, so your calling was for employment or were you, were you did you feel like you just needed to serve and show that people that could serve in the military were actually pretty smart people yeah, i mean i just felt like i i was i had skills in communication uh visual communication specifically having worked in comic books and things like that where you show people a lot and and i thought if there was any way i could help that there was that, that those were skills i could bring to it and, you know, you know, everyone has their negative things to say, but what are you doing? And so I wanted to be one of the people doing something. And, and that, that led me into the military to, to try and see how I could be, you know, a, 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 a like a, an agent for positive change or, you know, just at least positive work. Well, that's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, so you, so your family had no really military background and you immigrated to North America. Who was, who did you look up to? Who were your, who were your mentors growing up? Did you, did you have any superheroes uh, or? It, it's interesting because a lot of it too, for me, um, 
I grew up reading books like The Three Musketeers and, and things like that. And, and so I did have sort of like, kind of like a sense of adventure, especially when it came to, to the idea of service. And, and you know, I don't know if you've read The Three Musketeers, but in it, it's this young man who, who is, he's trying to help. He feels like there's a great sense of honor in, in serving your country. In his specific situation, the Musketeers, you know, he wanted to serve the King of France. And then he ends up seeing a lot more in, in the process of that. And so, yeah, as a kid, a lot, of, a lot of the things that I read were very much, you know, like based in heroism and based in the idea that you could be more, especially with the camaraderie and working with other people. And, and, and so that, to, to a great extent, formed my, my opinions on, on what you could do uh, in service and, you know, in, in more dangerous occupations. Well, that's a that's one of the classics. Three Musketeers has been around for a long, long time, and that's that's pretty cool that you identify with that because you know things like honor and uh, maybe a little bit of chivalry, but you know some romanticism about the adventure, and you know I just think that's pretty cool. Um, in fact, I think you're the first guest we've had on our radio show that's <laughs> talked about the classics, and uh, to be motivated by that's really interesting. So you, so you, you enlisted as an older guy. I'm sure that you know you took the ASVAB. You probably had a million different jobs you could do, and then you went into communications. And where did you go for after basic for that? Uh, after basic training, I went to uh, the Defense Information School on Fort Meade. I was actually stationed on Fort Meade pretty much the whole time because the 55th Signal Company is also on Fort Meade. And so yeah, I went straight from basic training to Fort Meade uh, and went right into a basic uh, photography course. And it was, it was fun because I'd never, I'd never been a photographer, but I understood framing and storytelling and things like that. You know, I enjoy movies and things like that. And so thanks with the guidance of, of the instructors there, I was really able to sort of hone a craft and, and get this idea of building a visual narrative. And uh, we had some very, very good NCOs. And so near the end of my time at 55th Signal Company, I had good PT, and I was like, like you mentioned earlier, I was a distinguished honor grad of the photo course. They sort of tapped a few of us on the shoulder and, and let us know that this was a possibility, that if we were willing to, to volunteer for it, that they were putting together this platoon of photographers that they were going to attach with ranger teams and, and, and such. And, and I was, I was all the way for it because like I said, I, I wanted to help and I wanted to see how much I could help. And, and that felt like the most frontline, the most, the most benefit I could bring to, to the experience of, of being in the military. That's, that's pretty and cool so, too. So what was the, um, you know, being a little bit older, what was the transition like going from civilian into basic training? Did you, did you was, mold very quickly or how did that happen? Um, it was interesting. I, I, I had, like I mentioned, I had some friends who'd been in the military. What they said to me is that the physical and mental, the, the physical aspect, they didn't think I would have an issue with. The learning aspect, they didn't have an issue. They thought the hardest thing for me was what was going to be like a being punished for other people's mistakes and sort of like having to accept that some people will quit and some people just just won't try. And, and that was actually the hardest thing, the most disheartening thing about basic training and, and, and throughout is just just having to keep your morale and, and keep your your own mental fortitude, your own kind of like intestinal fortitude 
when, when other people around you like wouldn't. Yeah, this and, is, uh, I'm glad you pointed that out, man, because, Jose, I got to tell you, even in my platoon through basic, I mean, and you're right, there were some knuckleheads in there. They end up doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of push-ups. Now, you know there's a reason behind it, but it still kind of gets you upset sometimes. It's like, dude, can you just get with the program, you know? Right, but, but I feel like on a larger scale, it works well for the indoctrination because then once you're deployed, once you're deployed, you realize that you're only as strong as your weakest link and that everyone has to pay attention. You know, like when I, when I got out there, you know, I, I didn't go to ranger school. I didn't go to rip and rasp or anything like that. So honestly, physically, when I got there, I was like 10 steps behind these guys. And the idea that, you know, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that blue falcon or you don't want to be that. And so you, you know, all you can do is adapt or die, really. And so you, you adapt, you, you get with the right people, you work hard every day, you come back from missions and go straight to the gym, and you become someone better. And it's not just for yourself, it's for the team, it's for, it's for everybody. That's great. And, uh, so tell us about that deployment then, that special, that special platoon. Tell us exactly what the training was like, and then you made it to Afghanistan. Oh, once, once we got to Afghanistan, uh, it was, I mean... From my very first mission, it was it was an eye opener because it was like everything that could go wrong did go wrong on my very first mission. My comms stopped working, my night vision stopped working. There was actually a point where I got lost, like lost everybody. Saw a strobe on a neighboring mountain and had to walk there by myself and just realized like this could be it. I could be dead in my very first mission just because I don't know what I'm doing. It, it took a lot of I don't know. I, I had to really look inside myself and sit down with the NCOs and just say, you know what, honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. I know that I'm bad at this and I don't want to fail you. I actually had the privilege, I don't know if you've seen the documentary with Strepo, Captain Kearney from that, he was Major Kearney at the time. He was the company commander of of the platoon I worked with. And he, he put me with a couple of NCOs and when we weren't on mission, we would go to like behind the defect in Mez, there was just like a giant dirt pile and they would put on night vision and they would like run me around. And they had some guys who were real high speed with regards to the PT and they had those guys PT with me. And it was just like slowly but surely, just all of a sudden one day, things that were difficult weren't difficult and and I could concentrate really on just doing my job. So that's um, called the ultimate and on the job training for sure. Oh, absolutely. So tell us about those missions. What was going on? First of all, thank God you made it to the strobe light because uh, you wouldn't be here to tell the story. But, you know, I've been told and we've interviewed lots of guys and ladies that have been to Afghanistan. And it's not a it's not the greatest place you want to get lost in. Oh, no, no, not at all. Yeah, it's definitely not a place you want to get lost in. It, it, I mean, it's a beautiful country. And that's one of the things that really like hurts your heart when you're there is that there are, there are moments, there are quiet moments where you are surrounded by beautiful things and silence and like looking at a night sky under night vision is really something else because you're seeing every shooting star. You're seeing all these things. There were times where as you we would approach a compound, you'd walk through a field and it was like, they were like growing the tea leaves or something, but it would just be like these beautiful aromas. And like in the back of your mind, you knew that like at any moment it was going to turn into, you know, the smell of like gun smoke, you know, but for that quiet moment, you were just, you know, you were at peace. The world was a beautiful place. Everything smelled good. 
but it was very fleeting, a very fragile thing. And it's, I mean, that's just life. It's just, it's fragile and it can turn on you. So the mission was to document the missions that basically yeah. that was well, it. I mean, well, um, a lot of it too is like you do a lot of almost like crime scene photography. You do the, a lot of the forensics. You photograph every dead body. You photograph every weapons cache. Uh, you try and catch video. If a if firefight breaks out, you are trying to catch as much of the video as possible because you're trying to express... Uh, because afterwards you have to make PowerPoint slides. You have to give things to the higher ups. You're with a specialized special operations team. There's like generals and joint chiefs of staff and people who want to know what happened and they can't be there. So you have to be the person conveying that information. And, you know, if you take people back and you need to interrogate and find out who's who, they have to have mug shots. They have to have things like that. And so you're, you're pretty much helping paint a picture for the people above you and the, the people making the big decisions. So, so a lot of the times it wasn't just a matter of like, you know, I took 12,000 photos, only four of them were ever like properly released because a lot of it is just you're, you're gathering intelligence, gathering information. So what uh, kept you, you know, those chaotic environments. So what, you know, no pun intended, but what kept you focused? I mean, did you have oh, like okay. a, a brief to go out or how did that work? How did those missions work for a photographer? Well, I mean, I think, I think the big thing that, that benefited me was the idea that, you know, you would wake up and you would go, you would go to these Warno meetings, you know, like the, they, they'd sit there, they'd say, this is who we're after, this is why they were after them, this is what they did, this is the point of what you're doing. And so always in your mind, there's, a, there's, there's very much a mission in your head. It's not like this broad, abstract mission. There is, there's this guy, he blew up a defect, he killed these people. We're going to get him. And you, you know, you are a member of a team who's trying to do this. And so, so it made it very, very clear in my mind what, what I needed to do. And then on top of that, when you're out there, you, you see everyone else working, you know, everyone else around you, especially with, with like Ranger teams, special operations teams, everyone else around you is trying their best to be the best soldier they can possibly be. And so how can you do any less? And, you know, how, how can you come back and feel like a proper human being if you were around people like that and then you didn't? It definitely, well, it definitely raises the bar. I mean, and you're right, you know, if you're, if you're flying with eagles, sooner or later you're going to, you're going to grow eagle wings, you know, if you really want to do it. And, you know, when you're with the best of the best and without a doubt, I, I think that we probably have the best fighting force on the planet. So you're you're out there running with these missions. What did you think of the missions? I mean, did you you, you know you had a job to do, but you know what was going on out there? I mean, out there, like I, I showed up there in like 2011 during the summer fighting season, and I mean, I was like the very first mission I did it was like a school. Like there was a school, like an elementary school that these people had pretty much boarded off half of it and turned it into a bomb factory knowing that we weren't just going to airstrike a school because of the optics. And so you have to show up in the middle of the night and clear it. And then you really like, uh, they call them like remain over days. Like you show over there, you show up, you make a big loud noise, you just, 
destroy the bomb factory, and then you camp out. You find a place that's defensible, and you camp out and wait for them to come to you. You're just sitting in the Alamo. And, and you know, you, you really see that there is that there's a weight to what you're doing. Uh, you're, you're trying to make this school a safe place. You're trying to eliminate this because, like, a lot of the time, it's coming in, you know, the, the terrorists and things like the Taliban, they're coming in from over the border. These are people who aren't from Afghanistan, in Afghanistan, making it an unsafe place for the people in Afghanistan. Yeah. And you're, you're just... No, 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 you go ahead. But, you know, you mentioned the people. How do the Afghan people feel? I mean, obviously, they're in the middle of all this, but were they were they, uh, were they they pissed at the Americans? Or, I mean, was it... What was what were the people like? Uh, it, I feel I feel like it was very complicated. I because of the nature of the team I was with, I didn't get to have a whole lot of close encounters with Afghan people who were not uh, directly involved in the fighting against Americans. I didn't personally have a whole lot of very good experiences. We did have an experience where there was someone who had been targeted by the Taliban very many times. And so essentially we got bad information and raided this person's house. And he was just tired of it. And he straight up just led us to where they were actually. Like, was like, hey, you know what? I'm done with this. And he helped. And he helped us out. The interpreters were, were always really good. A lot of the, the work was some very good. Uh, the AP, like the Afghan police units, we worked with some, some very, like, they were go-getters. We were definitely dedicated to trying to reform their country. And honestly, a lot of the best experiences I've had have been since my return, speaking with people in the United States, like from, from Pakistan and from, from Afghanistan, like they, they wish their countries were, were, were more kind of hospitable. Were, were, it, they wish it was different. And I wish it was different too, because like I said, it's, it's a beautiful country. There's a lot there that I enjoyed. Everyone just wishes that it wasn't so tied up in the violence that's been rooted there. I mean, it's been for decades. Like, I don't know, the, the Bader Meinhofs were, were trained in Afghanistan. Like, Carlos the Jackal went over there and it was his, his agenda and, and worked in there. It's been, it's been a long time since that place has been really a hospitable, safe place. It would be nice to someday find a way to, to make it a place that says, I don't know, you see those pictures from the 70s and things like that where people were, where it, was, it seemed almost like a cosmopolitan place. And then it would be nice to see that again. Yeah, it sure would be. You know, I, you know, and the way you describe it, you know, you do hate to see that. Our guest today on Straight Out of Combat Radio is combat photographer Jose Torres. And he's telling us about his deployment to Afghanistan and you know, on these missions that he went on where he had to document exactly what took place. So you were, you were, Jose, you were boots on the ground for one deployment or did you go twice? Uh, I only did the one. Which is probably enough. I, yeah, it was, well, uh, my son was born three weeks before I deployed. And so it's, it's one of those, like, when I enlisted, <laughs> It was just me, you know, and even if it was just me and my wife, it's one of those things where you, like, my father died when I was relatively young and it like, like you miss him every day. And deep down in my heart, when you were over there, like, there were missions, there was a mission where we went after guys who shot down Chinooks. And so we were in a Chinook that had no windows and had a machine gunner at every window and snipers out the back. 
plus the miniguns. And people started trying to shoot us down. They did almost like a false landing. And it was like, you're in, you know, as, as the photographer, you're on your knee in the center of the Chinook, but everyone opens fire. It's, it was like almost like a movie. You're under night vision. It's just raining brass. And you realize you might never even get out of this helicopter, let alone onto the ground. And then once you're there, what's going to happen? And in the back of your mind, it's like, you know what? I might never see my kid again. This kid, the last time I saw him, he was 21 days old. And I, that might be the last thing I ever, I ever remember. How often did you get and, to uh, talk to your wife? How often did you make contact with her? Um, we were fortunate. We, there, there, there were phones and things like that. So we, we did get to speak fairly regularly. She was very understanding. She understood that, like, because of the nature of, of the mission, sometimes it might be a few days uh, before she heard from me. But whenever I could, we would speak. I, I had phone cards and things like that. And it was, it was always nice every now and again uh, when, when you'd go to punch in your number on the phone on the base. And it was, a, you know, this company, uh, Home Depot today paid for all your phone calls. And so you could call home and, and it would be for free and things like that. But we tried our best to uh, to keep in as close contact as possible uh, through the phone. Well, when you finally did make it back home, and we're glad that you did. Um, sorry for anybody you may have you know been friends with that were lost over there, but you must have been pretty damn excited to see your son and your wife. Oh yeah, most definitely. It was it was it was, it was a beautiful thing to to be able to to hold my child and to and to see my wife and, and to be uh, back in uh, in the United States. Uh, it was definitely difficult. Like, I know I, I, I suffer with, with PTSD and things like that. So there were things like couldn't really sleep in, in bed with everyone properly because, like, you know, the, the slightest movement in the bed could cause, you know, a, a, a negative reaction. And so there, there was a lot to, to unpack uh, once I, once I got back and, uh, you know, with the help of, of counseling and the VA and things like that, um, it's been, it's been better integrating back into, into normal American life. So you got back, you got back in 2012 is when you came out and then you uh, still had a year or two left or how'd that work? Uh, well, I mean, it, I mean, I, I, it just pretty much, I got back, uh, in two, yeah, I just I got out in 2012, and it was just a matter of of, of riding out the rest of the of my time in the military. There's only so much time you you have to be back for a certain amount of time before they send you back and things like that. And uh, with my contract with me not renewing, it's just it it didn't. There was no no cause for me to to get sent back out. How did you uh, How did you think the transition went though, and the support you got was it adequate enough? Did you feel like that there was that you did get the support that you needed? You know, you mentioned the VA and the counseling. Did, did you get enough? There were definitely there were definitely holes in the system. Uh, I feel I feel when you get back, and, and I don't like obviously it's been it's been a good number of years since I was in. But when you get back, it's you know they sit you down and and they're just kind of like don't beat your wife, don't do this, don't do that. Do you need anything? And you're just so desperate to get out of that room and get back to normal life that you say whatever you need to say to get out. And there's a lot of people who myself included, who don't end up dealing, don't end up uh, asking for the help they need. And uh, I did suffer for a good bit, especially once you get out and 
the you know a lot of the skills don't transfer over necessarily and it, it, it was it was a rough time trying to reacclimate well, how to, did you how did you just, how'd you deal with it you mentioned working out did you hit the gym or how'd you deal with it yes uh working out was a big thing i mean working out is the way that you learn over there like i remember like there were early with the early missions you come back you take off everything and you just start shaking and you know you go to the medics and you're like what's happening why am i shaking and they'd be like oh that's just adrenaline go to the gym and so you start going to the gym that becomes the way you deal it's there were times where i would come back from a mission and go directly from the ready room into pts and go running because uh it helps you get it out and and that was a big thing i, I definitely like the vet centers and things like that, uh, I needed to speak to people for a while. I still, I still speak to people because it's, it's very important. It's, it, it's, it's very difficult. And, and in the world, like there's not a lot of people who, who understand and not a lot of places where, where you can be around people who, who fully understand, uh, what, what you've been through. And so, and so, yeah, the, the VA and vet centers and, and, and groups like that, where you can go and, and seek counseling or, are uh, key to uh, they, they they were key for me to to reintegrating and, and having any kind of success uh, in my civilian life. Well, I'm glad you pointed that out because one of the things you know you you said talk about it, and you know one message that we've always tried to say in my own personal journey myself is. You know, it's a good thing to talk about, and you're not weak if you talk about it. You're actually pretty courageous, and by discussing it with people that understand it, you have the ability to to see that there's a lot of people going through the same things, and when you can discuss it, it definitely helps. That's for sure. Yeah, well, especially I don't know. Uh, I don't feel like, especially since since conflicts like Vietnam and things like that, where where things almost like don't come to an end, where you don't have the closure. There's no big treaty of Versailles or whatever treaty gets signed at the end. And everyone tries to find a way to reconcile. Like sometimes it is hard to, to maintain the focus of why, why you did anything or, or what it was for. Would you do it all over again? I would do it again because at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I knew my attitude going into it and I, I tried my best. I met some of the best people, uh, I'll ever meet and I got to do, you know, you get to function at such a high level, you know, like there's, there's a lot of knowledge you gain about yourself in a situation where your life is on the line with the lives of the people around you are on the line. And I feel like, like that, that sort of knowledge, that if nothing else, knowing the things you learn about yourself over there and the way you get to work with other people, the respect you get to gain for other people and the friendships you make, um, they just can't be replaced. They can't be, I can't find those just out in the world. I have respect and love for a lot of people, but the people who I, who I served with, uh, always hold a special place in my heart. Absolutely. So, Tell us about the projects you're working on now, and especially Tilt Shift. You know, Tilt Shift is the reason why we met. I saw that project, I think, about a year ago and uh, tried to make contact. And you know how busy we all get. But let's talk about Tilt Shift and what you want to do with it. And and then, you know, we mentioned a couple other projects at the beginning, but I'm interested in Tilt Shift. I'm actually interested in all of it, but tell us about that project. Oh, oh Tilt Shift is a... Uh 
from before, like like I mentioned, before I went into the service, I had worked in comic books. I did, I did uh, Heirs of Eternity, I did for Image Comics, and I did that short story, uh, American Dream, for, for an, an Image Comics anthology called Outlaw Territory. Uh, and I wrote The Hunger for Speakeasy. Uh, I made friends with a lot of people. Like uh, I went to high school and things in Atlanta, and so there's a pretty thriving uh, comic book uh, industry. Like There's a lot of professionals who live there. And so I had the benefit of meeting uh, Josh Hood, who at the time was working on Aquaman and Justice League. Uh, it was a miniseries called Scary Monsters, written by Chris Claremont. And uh, so when I was when I was while I was serving, when I was seeing the things I was seeing, I sat down and I, I wrote a script. And with with Josh being one of the most professional people I knew, one of the most uh, one of the more skilled artists that I that I have encountered I sent him the script and I just I just asked him like what do you think of this do you think this this thing has legs and he read it and, and he told me flat out like I will draw this and I, I was honored and so I, I tried to to form a, a the, the project around you know around what I had experienced uh we, we did a kickstarter and we were able to raise the funds necessary for the first issue but uh I guess that point that's the, the mistake I made on that point, the idea of distribution and publication and things like that, we, I hadn't, I kind of took for granted that having worked with, with companies like Image and things like that before, that that door would still be open. And due to sort of like the climate of things and, and, and sort of, there's a lot of like picking up sides nowadays. It was, it was difficult to get anyone who just wanted to flat out do a military book that just looked at what the experience was like. Well, you know, here, and, I, uh, you know, let me make a point on that. You know, I, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen the artwork. Uh, you sent me some, and I've also seen that first issue and it's pretty phenomenal. And I mean, it does draw you in and, you know, it's an interesting point you make and regardless of what side of the fence you're on, what's interesting about tilt shift and for anybody that's listening, is that it, it is telling the story, and and you're getting a photographer's eye view, if you will, of actual things that happen. And and you know we talk about storytelling, and if we don't tell the stories, then people won't know what happened there. And you know this is another medium. Of course, I was raised on comic books like most kids, and you know, but I got to say the artwork that I've seen in, in Tilt Shift is very realistic. Now I was never boots on the ground in combat. I can speak the language, but this is a comic book that the guys and gals that have been in combat are going to definitely relate to. And I think that you've done an admirable job with the little bit that I've seen. This is a, you know, we got to somehow find a way to finish this project, Jose. And I know that we're going to help you any way we can. I definitely appreciate that. And that's like, like you said, a lot of times it takes people who've been there and seen it to, to bring it forward. Cause for a while there it's, it's, it's been sort of in limbo, but recently uh, I was able to to hook up like a when I deployed uh, the sniper with whom I deployed. His name is Paul Martinez. He has a, a novel coming out called When the Killer Man Comes, and he's been working closely with with uh, Nick Irving, who was also uh, a Ranger sniper. Uh, he has his book The Reaper. He has he actually has several books out, and, and is very accomplished uh, in his own uh, presence in the media. And, and they, they approached me knowing that, that I, that I had 
uh, writing that I have writing experience, and that I was there and have have a story to tell. And and they are they're trying to work with me to with me and Josh to get the book out there. And so right now we're trying to organize things to to sort of like jump start it again and get get it back going because with their ability they they have access to publication distribution uh, means and so with with their help uh, we're trying to get the book back on track and, and and get it out there. So how can people help you on an individual or on a corporate basis? How you know what is it that you need and what can we do and what can they do to help this project get going again? At the end of the day, um, we, we're looking. We we need the, the the funding to make the book happen. I I have a lot of guilt because we did the Kickstarter initially, and because of a lot of uh, issues like personal. Like at the time, I was working in the oil field, and and the price of gas dropped, and everyone lost their jobs, and so I was I had to end up shelving it and. I have obligations to the Kickstarter people that that I'm that we're still working to to fulfill. Essentially, we we just need the the funding to to get the book completed because at this point now we do have the means of distribution and publication. Uh, we're just working to organize uh, what we need to be able to to get the book done and and ready for print. So, where can people go to help you on this? I feel apprehensive to, okay. to ask individuals for, for their for their money again after after how the Kickstarter worked out. Uh, that's certainly understandable. Um, and again, I think that uh, you know, I think that if people can actually go to a place, I know that you have a, a Facebook page, and I know that there is there are the artworks out there, and you can actually see it. And, I, and you know, I think that when people do go to see it, they're going to be interested in wanting to help out with this. Um, well, I mean, and there's definitely also the we, we do it is available on Comixology, like in digital format, and it is, it is for sale on the Comixology site. So if people wanted to see the first issue. That does. We do directly uh, get paid, get paid for that, and that and that would go towards towards producing uh, the subsequent issues. Right, got that. So you know, so you say that you know it, the story itself, tilt shift. How do you get the name tilt shift? And then you say, you know, it's about good intentions and hard work in a in a thankless world. You know, tell us about the name yeah. and, and what do you what do you mean by that statement? Oh. The uh, the name tilt shift it's, it's actually a, a type of photographic lens. Uh, it's a it's a kind of photography where it forces perspective. It uh, it blurs out everything else and focuses on one small part of of the uh, the full picture. And when when you use it uh, for like a landscape photo, it actually makes everything look like miniatures. And uh, and that's one of the things is like by focusing on one team doing one deployment. Uh, one set of missions, we we felt like we could give a broad, uh, like a, a more broad feel of what what it was like in Afghanistan. You know, by 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 forcing the perspective onto this one team, you could see through the ordeals and and what this team goes through and what this individual goes through. You could get a larger picture for for what it was like over there, and that's that's why we chose the name Tilt Shift uh, because it, it brings in the idea of of photography, but also the idea of of getting a big picture to, to uh, forced perspective into a small area. 
So the place that they can go is Comixology, which is C-O-M-I-X-O-L-O-G-Y.com. And if you put in Tilt Shift, uh, The Quiet Professional, then that will pop up. And it's only two ninety nine to get that first issue. So, you know, yeah. I, I encourage everybody to go there uh, and check it out. I think you're going to be very impressed with the story and with the with the illustrations and the coloring. And again, it's, it's very well done uh, and very much appreciated on our end. A couple questions here, Jose. You know, what is what does freedom mean to you? To me, uh, freedom means that you you are able to be your best. That you, that the the means are around you to where you can stand up and and take an account for who you are and and what you can do and push yourself farther. And, and, and be better uh, because we, we all we, we surprise ourselves you know I, I didn't I had, like I said I had no military background and going into it I, I learned a lot about myself and became better and I feel like that happens to a lot of people who, who enter the military and really people in American life in general people who, who have the ability to to try their best to sacrifice and to, to do their best for, for their country, for themselves, for the people around them. And, and I think that's one of the, the beauties that America provides you is the ability to be the best version of yourself possible, to explore and, and to, to use the resources in this country to, to just be more. And that's what humanity needs, honestly, to move forward. It's, uh, everyone doesn't have to be right. Everyone just has to be trying to be better. And we have to have the freedom to, to do that. We don't, to not be constrained by these, the thoughts of others or the beliefs of others necessarily. We should be able to, to choose for ourselves. Definitely some great points you make. And, you know, what would you want the non-veteran population that's listening to know about combat veterans uh, specifically? Is there a message you could give to them? Oh yeah, the the message I would give to 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 non-veterans is just that I mean that people who served it was it's not from desperation. It's not because there's nothing else. It's because there's a lot of times there's a calling. There's a calling to do more, and it's it's a straightforward avenue. And so so a lot of times the veteran population there's a lot of intrinsic skills and knowledge and just an attitude and dedication. To getting the job done that, that we bring to to the larger American society, and and it's especially like currently right now my day job, I work for a company that does advanced materials uh, like for cell phones and things like that. We pro- we make the the ultra high purity chemicals that go into microchips, and I would say a solid eighty percent of the people who work there are Navy veterans, Army veterans. And what it is is the attention to detail and dedication to getting it right the first time. The dedication to safety and the idea that everyone around you's life is valuable. And it works it works beautifully where I work right now because we have we you bring that with you from the military. You have that work ethic, you have that care for, for detail and and care for the people around you. And and veterans very much it's, it's something you like you you get that beat into you that you can easily be punished 
for someone else's mistakes and someone else can suffer for bad decisions you make or carelessness on your part. And that gets weeded out of you real quick. Hmm. And, uh, I, I feel, I feel like the, if the civilian community had a, a good concept of, of that spirit that comes out of, out of military service, uh, there, there would be a lot more understanding. And if there's a, um, if there's a brother or sister out there who's worn the uniform and they're, maybe they're in a, a very uncomfortable place, is there any advice, you know, based on your own experience, Jose, that you could give to them? I would say talk to someone. Uh, don't, don't be ashamed. Uh, don't feel like you're the only person who feels that way. A lot of us have felt a lot of very negative things. We've all been in very dark places, and, and a lot of the, the, the weights we carry back uh, from war, there's a lot of understanding. My own, uh, one of the therapists who helped me the most at the vet center, he was a Vietnam vet, and some of the good conversations we had, some of the understanding we, we, we came to together, it, it let me see very much that, that a lot a lot of the pain that I that I brought back with me is pain that, that veterans have felt for I mean, years and years. Like Audie Murphy did not Murphy, he used to wake up and his wife woke up and he was holding her at gunpoint because of the, the combat stress. And that's Audie Murphy, he's like the most decorated soldier ever. He was a strong advocate for the kind of stress you can bring back from war and that was World War Two. You know, he was he was about as praised for his actions as he could and he still carried his demons. So yeah, so anyone who's going through a hard time, uh, know that you're not alone. Talk to somebody, uh talk to your old teammates, talk talk to to other veterans, go to the vet center because there's a lot of us who, who feel the same way, who who are carrying maybe not the same load but similar loads and I don't want to see. I don't want to see another veteran. I've had friends uh, take their own lives, and I don't want to see that happen again. Because you know we're here for anybody who I who I know in the military who can get a hold of me can get a hold of me whenever because I'm always there for them. Definitely some great advice. Pretty heartfelt advice, actually. And uh, you know, I know that you know. How old's your boy now? He's six years old. Seven years. Uh, old. He's he's seven. Yeah, he's seven. So that's like second grade now. So you know, congratulations. Um, what's he up to these oh, days? You. Oh, he's he's just a great kid. He uh he loves maps. He uh he's actually teaching. He knows all the states, all the capitals. He's slowly teaching himself every country in the world. He and I we can go. Well, my family we go hiking a lot. He and I we we, we climb mountains all the time, and he. It, it's great to see the, the sense of accomplishment he has as a little guy. You climb a mountain and you go for ice cream afterwards, you know, and the people, oh, how's your day? Great, I climbed a mountain. And it's it's great to see that he can he can have a sense of fulfillment and things like that. Life is just another mountain to climb. And I'm glad he has a, a sense of himself, uh, a love for the world at large, and just a, a respect for nature and for his fellow man. That's great. That is great, man. I got to tell you, you know, we're definitely appreciative of you taking the time, Jose, to be with us on Straight Out of Combat Radio, where we honor veteran combat veteran wisdom. And uh, how can people contact you? And and seriously, we you know we got to get this kicked up again. I I know you've been working hard. Uh, tilt shift has got to be told. And uh, again, I know there's people out there that that can help and companies. Uh, how can people get a hold of you and and to find out more information? 
I know they can go to Comixology, but is there any place else they can go? The best place to find us would be Tilt Shift page on Facebook. That's great. Well, glad you're here. Glad you made it back. You know, welcome home. You know, and and I just, you know, we've been trying to get a hold of you for a while, but now we finally did. And, you know, we're going to continue on with our mission. And if you need anything from us on this end at Straight Outta Combat, just let us know. You know, we're here for you. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. Thank you, Jose. Before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Before they burn it down